Okay, so we're in the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights. And uh, so we're in the book of Hebrews right now. And uh, the book of Hebrews is written to, among other people, the Christians in Rome about the early 60s. I'm going to give you a bunch of numbers tonight. So don't feel like you have to write them down. But I want you to kind of be able to put it all together, right? So it's about the 60s. Like... Six zero, not 1960s, but like just 60s. So the Christian community and these house churches that are in Rome, uh, were, we begun around the time of Pentecost, uh, when the, the people had come, um, from Rome. They, they were around the Pentecost and, and all the, the Holy Spirit moved and they're like, wow. And then they go back home to Rome and they bring Christ and Christianity with them back to Rome. So that's about the, 30s. So between then and where the church is at now in Rome is about 30 years. It's a long time, right? I mean, kind of. It's long to me. It's long to me. It feels like a long time. So now, at this point, the Apostle Paul has been preaching and teaching for a couple of decades, and the word about Jesus has traveled all over the area, but those in Rome have been there from the beginning, from when it started. And at this time, um, after all this time, some some people may have uh, some people from that time who who are reading this letter right now witnessed the first move of the Holy Spirit. Some people, if if they didn't see and know Jesus's life themselves, at least heard firsthand accounts of Jesus and what he did and what his life meant. So for you and I, we're reading the book of Hebrews. We're reading about what had happened. But these people are in a season where they may have experienced it for themselves at that time, 30 years ago, but nonetheless. So um, if you're thinking about people who had seen the Holy Spirit move for the first time and may have talked to people who knew Jesus himself, you'd probably expect that their spiritual maturity would be quite high. Quite high, but you haven't read the verses yet. So... <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's, it's not as high as you'd hoped. So, so far in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews has been talking about a lot of things, a lot of very, uh, very complex things about who Jesus was and about where Christianity should be. So, uh, he talked about how Jesus is superior to all things. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, he says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by his might, the mighty power of his command. That's, that's like the third verse. That's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big concept. Uh, he talks about how important it is, uh, to know and understand the truth. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, it says, So we must listen carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Hebrews has talked about uh, all things were created through Jesus. Uh, he brings us eternal life. The concept of Jesus being 100% man and 100% God at the same time. Jesus being the perfect sacrifice for sin, fulfilling all the Old Testament sacrifice, sacrificial systems. Many connections were drawn between the Old Testament and the events and people, and even more, um, and how those relate to Jesus and their present day. He's tying it all together. And we're just in chapter 5 right now. And he's already doing all of this. Uh, he says that Jesus is our perfect high priest in the order of Melchizedek, deserving even more glory than Moses. Moses, at this time before Jesus, was like the Jesus of their time. 
It's like the biggest thing that ever existed. Like Moses is the biggest, the greatest God's personal friend. Who subserps God's personal friend? God's actual son. So up until this point, I mean, when you name drop Moses, that's a big deal to these people at this time. Now this is, uh, all this stuff that he's, that, uh, that uh, they're talking about in the book of Hebrews, they've been teaching about that for years and years, week in and week out. And it's all really complex stuff, but the believers of the time should have gained some maturity and understanding by this point. If, if this whole church thing started 30 years before, near the beginning, then the word's been preached for decades and preached to them specifically in its complexity for years and years and years, every single week, you would think they'd be catching on and being able to understand it and explain it to other people. Right? Oh, we know this. Okay, so let's look at uh, our verses today. Our Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. It says this. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You know, it's, and, and we'll read some more here. That's not all of it. That's just a little bit. That's just the start. But it's funny when I think about, and that, this is the New Living Translation, so the, the words are different than um, some other translations. But I, I think it's funny when you hear the um, the authors of the Bible talk to the people. I just picture, like, if that happened today, how offended people would be. <laughs> he's talking to a church full of mature believers, and he's telling them, you know, I'd really like to tell you some more about this, but you're just really spiritual, spiritually dull. Apparently you don't listen. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. People are so sensitive these days, are they not? Watch an old movie. I mean, how did anything ever fly? <laughs> All right, let me start over. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have skills to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. It almost sounds like he's frustrated, doesn't it? <laughs> like, please, can we just move on to the next level? That's just how I hear it. That's how the Lord speaks it to me. My first point is this. Babies eat milk. Adults eat meat. So in this translation, it says solid food, but it is more directly related to meat. The difference between milk and meat. So the one thing I liked about these verses is what makes it super easy is food works really well as an easy spiritual metaphor. 
And this is why, because we all have a lifetime experience with food. If there's one thing we know well is food. Either we know what it's like to eat food or we know what it's like to not have food. We know what it's like to have good food. We know what it's like to have bad food. I could go on and on about food metaphors, but I'm not. I'm just going to go on for about seven minutes <laughs> about food metaphor, metaphors. So, not, I mean, not only do is it easy to connect spiritual things with what we already know about food and how food maintains our bodies, but we also, in America, have a pretty good sense of what uh, a base knowledge of nutrition so whether we eat nutritionally or not is irrelevant. We all have kind of a basic understanding of nutrition, right? Like, I'm taking away your plausible deniability tonight, but let's just be real with it, okay? So now I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm not trying to trap you. They aren't trick questions. I'm just trying to build some common understanding, okay? Are you ready? So you're going to play along with me? Okay. What kind of foods are bad for you? Vegetables. <laughs> sugar. I heard sugar. Yes. Sugar is bad for you. And why is sugar bad for you? What does, what does too much sugar do for you? Razor, not, all that bad stuff, right? See, you know. I mean, there's so many people shouting out. You already know this. So let me use sugar as an example. According to Florida where apparently grows a lot of sugar. The average sugar cane stock is three pounds. So uh, I don't know if you've seen sugar cane in real life, but it's like a big stick. It can be about two inches around, like that big, and about six feet long, and weighing three pounds. That is a stock of sugar cane. Out of a stock of sugar cane, it's about 85% juice. And so if you've ever seen it where they take a, a sugar cane stock and they run it through this crusher and crush it like this and all the juice pours out and then you can buy this cup of sugar juice. And it sounds terrible, right? It's not terrible. It's wonderful. It's like the nectar of the gods. I mean, kind of for real. Like in some cultures, it's seen as medicinal. Sugar will cure you. But that juice is only 11% sugar by weight. So one whole stock of sugar cane produces 132 grams of refined sugar. Does that sound like a lot for a stick of uh, sugar cane? Well, a 20-ounce bottle of Coke has 65 grams of sugar in it. So basically the same as eating a three-foot stock of sugar cane in one 20-ounce bottle of Coke. That's a lot of sugar. Think about that. Think about a thing like, think if you had to get all your sugar out of a sugar cane stock and you're just walking around, just chewing on this thing. How long do you think it would take you to chew through three feet of sugar cane? You'd have to really, really want that sugar. They do say it's more addictive than cocaine, at least in rats. So I could see like some of you, like during the Daniel fast, like it's all natural. It's sugar cane. I don't know where you can buy it. I'm not going to enable you. But the spiritual, the spiritual metaphor in this is when you strip out all the fibrous stuff, all the hard to chew stuff, all the stuff that's complicated to get through, and all you're left is the sweet stuff, it actually makes you sickly and weak. And the same applies to the word of God. If you take the word of God and you take all this and you squeeze it out and crush it and take the liquid and boil the liquid down until all you have is these little sugary kernels, it's not going to help you grow in Christ. It's going to help you grow this way. 
but not deep. All right, all right. What foods are good for you? Vegetables, right? A resounding, everybody knows that at some level, whether you like it or not, vegetables are good for you. Why are vegetables good for you? Vitamins, minerals, good stuffs and vegetables, right? Fiber. Yes, exactly. There's a bunch of good stuff. See, we all know good things and bad things about our diets. So, uh, here's an example. Now, this is a diet that you can try if you'd like to. Um, it's called the gorilla diet. Now, a gorilla weighs about 400 pounds and can eat about 40 pounds of plant material per day. Yeah, right? Are you picturing, it's kind of like that wheelbarrow that Oprah Winfrey pulled out full of fat, but full of vegetables. Like, that's how many, am I dating myself? Do you guys understand the Oprah Winfrey? Nah, never mind, don't worry, Google it. 400 pound gorilla can eat 40 pounds of plant life a day. The human equivalent of that would be about 18 pounds of fruits and vegetables a day. I don't think anyone could do it. That's a lot of food. That would take a lot of time. Your jaw would be so tired of chewing all those fruits and vegetables. So let me try to put this in a little bit of perspective, uh, give you a visual to it. A Costco bag of spinach is 2.5 pounds. You're familiar with what a Costco bag of spinach looks like? It's like a pillow of spinach. (laughs) It's so much spinach that you'll never eat all of it before it goes bad. It's cheaper than this much spinach at the grocery store, but you'll never eat this whole pillow of spinach, but you buy it anyway because it's cheaper and you can't help yourself. It weighs two and a half pounds. There's 104 calories per pound of spinach. That's 260 calories per bag. A person my size needs about 2,600 calories per day to maintain my weight, which is 10 Costco bags of spinach a day. That's amazing. Now, when someone says something like, I've tried every weight loss plan and diet and nothing works for me, I guarantee you they have not tried the gorilla diet. I guarantee it because I don't think there's any possible way that I could eat enough calories to not lose weight on the gorilla diet. I am not going to be able to eat 10 bags of spinach, maybe like six, but I'm still not getting all the calories I need. So you'll lose weight because help, help me with another nutritional knowledge that we have. What is the fundamental key to losing weight? Eating less calories than you burn, uh, than you, uh, burn, right? Eat less calories than you need and you will lose weight. Eat more calories than you need and you will gain weight. It's what we know. So gorillas are huge. That's why they need to eat so much plants because they're gigantic. Now, in the idea of burning more calories than you eat, that's a very fundamental weight loss strategy. Now, I've done it a few times where I've uh, tried to lose weight on purpose. And the first time I did it, I just counted calories. I counted calories. And so you may be really good at this stuff or you may follow somebody's blog or podcast. It's got you all whipped into shape, but I'm not good at this stuff. 
So when I counted calories, it would look something like, I really want to eat this greasy cheeseburger, but it's 2,000 calories. So I'm just going to eat that, and then I can't eat anything else for the rest of the day. Because <laughs> I already ate that cheeseburger for breakfast. So now I'm stuck. Because I can only have so many calories per day. So how, how many calories are in this bag of candy? Because I'm now I'm done. I ate all my calories. I had a couple of pieces of broccoli and a whole family-sized bag of M&Ms. And now I'm done. And I lost weight. I really did. I lost a lot of weight. And I was always cold and always hungry. And my stomach hurt. And I was crabby all the time. So yes, according to our theory, I ate less calories and I lost weight. But I was miserable. Didn't work. Put all the weight back on. Then the next time I intentionally tried to lose weight, I went a little bit deeper than just cutting calories. I went to eating very healthy, high quality foods. I didn't count one calorie. I didn't care at all. When I ate, I was hungry. I ate as much as I wanted to. Many days I had to stop eating because I was so full. But it was things like rice and vegetables and all these things that you know are healthy for you. And I wasn't able to eat enough calories. It's interesting because I added up the calories one time for breakfast because you used to eat oatmeal for breakfast. Oatmeal with berries and nuts and seeds and all this stuff in it. And I added up how much I eat for breakfast and it was a thousand calorie breakfast bowl of oatmeal. A thousand calories sounds like a lot, right? And I would eat that every single day, and I would eat as much as I wanted to, and I just kept losing weight. I couldn't keep the weight on. It would disappear because I was eating really quality, healthy, whole foods. Not a bunch of junk, not a bunch of fillers, not a bunch of sugar. So the point of that story and evolution is that if you're, uh, for your spiritual health, your philosophy on spiritual health is going to have to be a lot uh, more complicated than what fits on a bumper sticker. And sometimes we spend our time with these spiritual platitudes where we just have this saying that looked really good, all snipped out and like put on social media. But really, it's a lot more complex than just... Like eating healthy is cutting calories. It's way more complex than that. It's way more to it. Even though it, it fits, it's got to be a lot deeper, a lot more complex. And so spiritual health is the same thing as physical health in the terms that what you eat and what you experience is a lot more complex and there's a lot more going on in there than just what it looks like to be easy and on the surface. So food is a really good example for spirituality. And so we see in these scriptures right now, he's talking about that. He's talking about how they're acting like babies and they need milk. What they need to do is be grown-ups and eat solid food. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, 13, and 14. It says this, There is so much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially especially because you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You are like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. And someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So you, we could see here that the definition in terms of this, of someone who's mature, is someone who has the training and skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. It's pretty good. Spiritually dull. In the Greek it means this. Sluggish, dim-witted, negligent or lazy so 
He's not just saying you aren't very bright. He's saying, I'd love to tell you more, but since you're so sluggish and dim-witted and lazy and negligent, we got to start from scratch with you again and again. The author of Hebrews wants to go deeper in teaching them about Jesus, but he can't because the people don't seem to listen or understand the deeper things. It's not that they can't understand it, but they aren't being, uh, they're being too lazy and negligent to spiritually grow. It's not that they couldn't get it if they paid attention and tried. It's that they're not putting any effort into it. They're just like, oh, it doesn't work for me. I'll let somebody else do it. Paul says the same thing to the church in Corinth, but he elaborates as why this is the case. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk, as, uh, talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you uh, um, as though you belonged to this world, as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Paul liked to call it like it was too. Imagine if you called it another Christian and said, you're living by your sinful nature because I see you're jealous of them. You keep fighting with each other. Doesn't this prove that you're just living by your sinful nature? What if a non-believer called you out on it? I was like, all I see you do on Facebook is argue with other Christians. Doesn't that prove that you're ruled by your sinful nature? Oh, I'd feel so bad. I'd have to block them. I'm just kidding. I blocked all y'all. I'm not even on Facebook anymore. So that I can signal my virtue by how I should post on Facebook because I'm not on there anymore. Here's the thing. We live in this quick and easy, entertainment-focused, spoon-fed, participation award, do-what-you-feel-is-right kind of society, and that doesn't cut it in our spiritual lives. It just doesn't. But even the milk that the baby Christians need is nutritious and complex. It's not just simple formulas. See, that's what it almost, when we read these verses, it almost sounds like if you're drinking milk, it's an insult. But he's not saying that. He's saying that if you are a baby and you have no growth or maturity or knowledge, you need milk. That's okay. But he's telling them, you should be past that point by now. So it's not a condemnation of milk drinkers. It's a condemnation of them of still sitting there in the nest like a baby bird, like feed me, feed me. Eating regurgitated worms from their mama. He's like, get out of the nest already. It's your turn to fly. Fly like a bird. So I was reading this book, and, and I went and pulled it from this book. Um, but it was a story of uh, formula. Because you, when you look at the, you know, formula for babies is basically like a substitute for milk. And now before we get all offended and down in the weeds and, and whatever, if you fed your baby formula, this is not condemnation. We fed that formula. That's what happens. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Whatever. That's not the point I'm trying to make. So just like take offense, put it on the shelf. You're not going to need it tonight. All right, we're going to be okay. 
1860, a German scientist tried to create a healthy replacement for mother's milk, but they didn't, they only understood macros back then. They didn't understand micronutrients. They didn't understand vitamins and minerals and all this other stuff. So clearly, if you only understand the macros, which is like protein and carbohydrates and fat, you can't possibly make something as good as mother's milk to feed babies. It's just not going to work. And so, yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work for a hundred years. And then finally in like the 1970s, they started understanding uh, vitamins and minerals and all these other parts that, that are in food. And so of course you start making formula, you start adding all these things. We need more calcium and we need more protein and we need more vitamin D, especially if you live in this area of the country and and all these things, right? I bet if I gave you a piece of paper and a list of 10 things, you could easily write down 10 different nutrients and things like that that you know you need in your diet, right? I mean, you've watched enough commercials to know all the different things that you need in your diet. I'm sure of it. But even then, they could not make something that kids could thrive off of the way they could thrive off of mother's milk. The sum of the parts is not greater than the whole. You could, you could take some food and you could break it into uh, all the different pieces that you can quantify and put all those different pieces into something over here and it's not going to be as good as what God created. It just doesn't work that way. But finally in 2006, they discovered something else in breast milk. It's this, um, it's this thing that the baby can't even digest, but it goes in and it actually feeds the bacteria in the gut biome of the baby. Right? And so it's in the breast milk. The baby eats it. It doesn't do anything for the baby. It only does something for the bacteria in its guts, which expand and grow and cover its intestines and actually help prevent the baby from getting diseases. Where do you buy that on the shelf? I mean, next thing you know, they're going to be adding that to pancakes, you know, whatever it's called. It sounds amazing, like a miracle, right? Like how, how did they even come up with this stuff? But the reality is you can't create a formula that replaces what God already created. Do you see the, the metaphor there? Just like you can't design a better milk, you can't engineer a better broccoli either. Not that anyone has tried, <laughs> but you can't. Vitamins, minerals, supplements, protein shakes. The reality is, as, is that they try to make a perfect breast milk for babies in formula, but they do the exact same thing to you as adults. They got powdered vegetables you add to your milkshakes and protein shakes and take all these vitamins. And here's a specifically designed vitamin just for you, man over 60 years of age with whatever. It's, it's engineered specifically for whatever it is that you are. I think they probably just take the same one and just change the color of the label so that you'll buy it. But the reality is at the end of the day, you can drink all the protein shakes you want, but it's not going to be better and you're not going to get all those kind of things that you need to be healthy like you get out of a whole food the way God created it. Do you see where I'm going with this? First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 20. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in your understandings of matters of this kind. You cannot live off of a formula or a supplement alone. You can't live off of YouTube sermons or books or blogs or podcasts or devotionals or even Bible studies. Every time you process food, it loses nutrients. What I'm saying is all these kind of things are like supplements to your diet. 
You can't just live off of those things. You need to live off of the word of God the way he's created it. Not just bits and pieces of it or books about it or anything like that. You see what I mean? If you find yourself stuck eating easy meal replacements, now's the time to graduate to steak. Yeah. Point number two. How do we move from milk to meat? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 and verse uh, uh, and chapter 6 verse 1. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. So let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. And let's go instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamentals. He's kind of saying that in like a rhetorical kind of way. Like, like the people know this. Like he's saying this and they're not going like, wait, that's, what? Cause I thought the fundamentals were great. I was, I was so into that series, the fundamentals. And now you just want to switch. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, I know we can do better than that. You already should understand all of this. But you have to have the fundamentals first, right? They're a foundation. You can't build something if you don't have the foundation or it'll just uh, fall over on you. So this is where you should probably write this down or make a mental note to go back and review this because this is what you're this most applicable to you. Every believer should know the know these things and be able to explain these three things. Yeah, you ready? It's, it's pretty much you. These three things. Are you ready? The first thing that you should, you should know and be able to articulate to other people is your own testimony. See, this is the easiest one because no one can really come by and say like, no, no, you got that wrong. It's yours. It's your testimony about your life of what Jesus did for you. So that's a, that's an easy one. Should know that. If you're a Christian and you're saved and you've been saved from something, you should be able to take some time, sit down with a piece of paper and write out your story. What were you before? What happened when you encountered Jesus? How has your life changed? Now, when you're telling somebody else about it, what's going to make them want to listen to your story that your life changed? It doesn't have to be super long. I mean, shoot, it's better if it's short. Because, like, if if uh, social media has taught you anything, the longer your video, the less people are going to watch it. If you're like, hey, I want to share my testimony with you. It's 45 minutes. People are like, eh. It doesn't have to be super long. It can be two minutes. It can be ten minutes. The reality is, it's what Christ has done for you in your life. You are saved now. The Lord has saved you from something and for something. You should know what your testimony is. When somebody says to you, oh, you're a Christian, why? The least amount of information you should be able to give them is your own testimony. You could say something like, I have no idea how to explain any of that else, other stuff, but this is what God has done for me. Boom, that's number one. Write it down. Number two, you should be able to explain what the gospel is. Because you were saved by the gospel. And if somebody says, why are you saved or how are you saved? You should be able to explain that to them. You're kind of responsible for that much. Your testimony and what the gospel is. We're sinners who need a savior. Jesus is that savior. Accept that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Believe that Jesus is that savior. Confess it to others. Repent of your sins. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ta-da. Number three. You should know what the non-negotiables are of the Christian faith. Because 
there's different faith denominations. And if you look at them as concentric circles, all the main ones have stuff in them. But all of the good Christian ones have intersecting in the middle where they all believe these core things about what the faith is and who Jesus is. Now, if you want to worship on Saturdays, or you want to worship on Sundays, or you want to wear long skirts or you want to, you know, not have tattoos, all that other kind of stuff. Great. If that's your conviction, go out and be merry with it. But the reality is, if you're a Christian, there are core fundamental beliefs that are there. If you're a Christian, if these do not exist, you are not a Christian. That's why Mormons are not Christians and not trying to be mean. It's just the way it is. The core foundational beliefs, the Trinity, the Godhead, God, the father, Jesus is the son and the Holy Spirit. All three of them are God. All three of them are separate. It's a thing. Jesus is our only hope for salvation. You have to believe that Jesus died and then was resurrected from the dead so that you can be forgiven your sins. If, if the, if the, somebody believes that Jesus was just a good person or a good teacher or a prophet or ended up living longer than the Bible says he did, then that's not Christianity. Because if Jesus didn't have to die for you to be saved, then what's the whole point of any of it? Honestly, if they wanted to disprove Christianity, that's the one thing they should focus on. The death and resurrection. You blow up the death and resurrection, the whole castle falls apart. So anybody listening who wants to disprove Christianity, boom, there you go. I just set you up. Go, go, go and try. But here's the reality though, is they've had 2,000 years to figure that one out and they haven't done it. So if there's any kind of, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence for Christianity, it's the fact that people have been trying to destroy it for 2,000 years and haven't been able to figure it out yet. Your own testimony, what the gospel is, and the non-negotiables of your faith in Christ that makes you a Christian. Now, I could tell you where to find all the supporting verses, but you have heard them all before. So this would kind of defeat my point of and purpose of pressing you to grow in your maturity if I just sat and rattled off all the verses that support your faith in Christ. Go look them up. It's really not that hard. Let me tell you the secret. So not don't tell them. No, it's too easy. It's too easy not to tell you. You take your phone and you hit that little Google button and you say, Bible verse that says Jesus is the way to heaven. Blink. 21 Bible verses on Jesus and salvation. You click on that and you start reading them. That's not the one I'm looking for. Oh, there it is. That's the one I'm looking for. Then you take that verse and you punch it in like BibleGateway.com or something like that. And you pull up the verse and then you read the verse in context of the whole chapter. Too easy, people. I'm telling you, it's not that difficult. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether it's t- the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage people with good teaching. You can't simply rely on other people for your own growth. You can't. The huge problem in our society right now is a lack of accountability. Every, no one's accountable for their own actions or behavior anymore. It's always somebody else's fault. Only if somebody else would have done something, then, then this problem wouldn't exist in my life. It's so, so prevalent right now in our society, more so than I've ever seen it. And it shows up in the church too. When it comes to our own spiritual growth, you can't say, my pastor never talked about that. Or my Bible, on my Bible studies, he never covered that. Because you have the whole Bible sitting right in front of you. 
What's stopping you from reading this book? Nothing yet. So get reading. I don't know if I can say that in the future. But right now, there's nothing stopping you. So start reading it. Sermons are not enough. It's a lazy Christian. Uh, it's a lazy Christian that only listens to what somebody else thinks about the scriptures and never reads them for themselves. It's true. Sermons are great. Sermons can teach you, but if you never take the time to go back, look at the notes, look up those verses, go, oh yeah, I see. If you ever had a question to say, oh, I'm not really sure how that works, but you never take the chance to go back, look it up, read through it, figure out and go, oh, that's how it works. Then you're just simply like that baby bird waiting for mama bird to barf a worm up into your mouth. (laughs) I'm not saying the worm isn't nutritious. I'm just saying that you can't live like that forever. Bible study groups are not enough. Here's a question. If you go to Bible study, here's a question. Do you prepare before you go or do you just show up? Let me tell you a story about my, how my dad led Bible studies. I remember one time I was over at his house and he was, you know, studying something in the Bible and he's, he's, uh, writing something down. He's got his little notes. He used to use one of those little mechanical pencils and just, you know, wrote in all caps, you know, and, um, and so I was, Hey, so what you up to dad? What are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm getting ready for this Bible study. I'm like, uh, like, well, when is that? I was thinking maybe it's tonight. He's like, no, it's in a couple weeks, but you know, I just got to get after it because this week, uh, that week, there's a big section. So he's going week for week and he's working on a couple weeks ahead. This Bible study that he's, that he's leading. I was like, dang, like I thought he was writing a sermon. He's got notes over there. He's studied it out. He's cross-referenced it. And my dad was old school. It's not like he was Googling this stuff on the computer like I do. Matthew Henry commentary, you know, (laughs) (laughs) click, paste, cut, move over, change the wording. Boom. I'm a brilliant preacher. No, he's got like concordances and chain reference Bibles and all this kind of stuff. And, and so, uh, I'm like, wow, that's great. And so then I followed up with him later and I was like, Hey man, how did that Bible study go? And he was pretty frustrated actually, because he's trying to bring this Bible study and he's trying to help teach them what the word actually says so they can talk about it, but they don't want to do it that way. And so they complain to the, I don't know, pastor over whatever is a pretty big church. So one of the many pastors over a different ministry complained to them and and they're like, yeah, we'd rather you not uh, do Bible study that way. What they wanted is that format, which you've probably been to one of those too, where you go and they read a Bible verse, you're like cold. God promises, uh, God's promise of entering in his rest still stands for we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. What do you think that means? How about you, Matt? What What does that verse say to you? My dad was not having it. He's, he just stopped. He's like, I'm not going to teach a Bible study like that. That's not a Bible, that's not a Bible study. It's more of a Bible guessing game. No context, no, just like, hey, here's a verse. What does that verse mean to you? How do you interpret that verse? That's not a Bible study. Now, sermons and Bible studies are a great leaping off point. But the Lord wants a relationship with you personally. He doesn't want to just be a friend of a friend. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search them, um, search them as you would search for silver. 
Seek them like a hidden treasure. Do you know what he's talking about? Seeking wisdom and understanding from the Lord as if it was treasure. Are you in the habit of doing that? Because that Bible study wasn't in the habit of doing that. My dad was in the habit of doing that. Verse 5, then you will understand, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain knowledge of, of God. For the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And in James chapter 1 verse 5 it says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now Hebrews chapter 6, we move on to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, Surely we don't need to start again at the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Pretty standard foundational thing. Do we really need to go back there again? You don't need further instruction about baptism and laying on of hands and resurrections of the dead and eternal judgment. You have heard and been taught all of these topics like this before. From this pulpit. You have. If asked about it, would you have a measure of an answer for someone or at least know where to find it? Really, the trick to sharing uh, things about Christ is knowing where to find it, especially in this day of age of text messages. Because you text me about something, nine times out of ten, I go search it, look it up. Hey, I remember reading that. Where did I find that? Oh, yeah, here's the verses. Boom, here's a bunch of verses. You're like, wow, Pastor Jay, you know everything. No, I know where to find it. You think I can have a 2,000 page book memorized? No, I'm pretty good at concepts. I'm really bad at addresses, but give me a chance and I will find it for you. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here is not that these things aren't of vital importance that need to be heard again and again, but that we shouldn't have to keep teaching you something that you should already know already. All the sermon notes and all the sermons are online for your benefit to use for your own understanding as well as a jump start to whatever uh, whatever the Bible says about these subjects. You could go at, tonight or tomorrow or whenever it's posted. You could go here and look at all of my pages of notes. Every single one of these verses, you could pull that verse out, put it in context, read it again. And if you want to, call me up and say, I think you translated that verse wrong. It's You didn't use it in context. And if you go about about five, six years, you'll find some that were used out of context. <laughs> but I've learned, and I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but that's my point. Maybe you should be teaching your friends about this stuff by now. Maybe you should be taking some sermon notes or some verses or whatever and studying something out for the Bible for yourself and then teaching your friends about it. You can do that. It's all there available for you. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 15. Now these are the gifts uh, Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, pay attention, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The pastors, teachers, evangelists, and prophets' job is to equip you to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our father and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown, uh, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truths, which a good lie always has 
sounds like truth. Otherwise, it's not a lie. It's just hyperbole. Instead, we will be speaking the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head, uh, uh, whose head of the body, the church. The pastor's responsibility is to equip you to do the work of ministry, not to make you comfortable in your seats. The better you know God's word, the harder it is for someone to trick you with a lie. And like I said, you don't have to have the whole thing memorized. What it works, this is how it works for me. Somebody says something, I go, hmm, that does not sound right. Uh, something doesn't feel right about that. I'm going to go look that up. Blue, 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 10, 15 minutes later. Okay, here's that verse. Oh, no, they totally misquoted that. They don't say that at all. You can do that too. It's not that difficult. You have the tools at your disposal. The better you know God's word, the harder it will be for one of these people to trick you with their new fancy thing, their new revelation that after 2,000 years, apparently no one else figured it out, but now they've got it figured out. And they built a church on it, and they're selling mugs with it and t-shirts. Fresh revelation. You're going to want to check that stuff out before you buy into it. My third point is this, a quick one. It's time to grow up. Hebrews chapter three, verse uh, Hebrews chapter six, verse three. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. This is a call to grow up and become mature in all areas of the Christian walk. He's talking about understanding the word, but understanding of the word means action in your Christian life. Understanding it means doing it. If you understood it, you would be doing it. That's the whole point. Grown ups, stop making excuses. You know the truth and where to find it. There is no excuse. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Children make excuses. Adults take ownership. Children make excuses. Adults take ownership. Grownups take responsibility. It's not someone else's job to fix it. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. The biggest challenge in our society right now is everybody thinks it's somebody else's job to fix it. Now there's two things. One, you fix it, take responsibility, or it just can't be fixed. So suck it up. It could be a lot worse. Really, for most of us, that's your two there's parallels. Either way, go on and take responsibility for your life and stop expecting somebody else to be in charge or the fall guy for how your life is, good or bad. That's being a grown-up. This is a journey. It's not a destination. It's a lifestyle change, not a diet. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. So we must listen carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in James chapter 1, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You can't do what it says if you don't know what it says. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, you could be one of two people in here today. One person you could be is a person who has never heard the gospel before, didn't know what this was all about, but now you do, and now you know that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're at home right now listening, and that's you, you can do it right there. God's watching. So if that's you today, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time ever, 
eyes have been opened, you want to live for Christ today, first time ever, why don't you just raise your hand so I can see that you want to give your life to Christ today. Amen. Amen. Now, if you'd feel comfortable, if you'd just come up to the front, someone will come pray with you. Um, if you can walk up in front of a, a church full of Christians and let them know that you give your life to Christ, then um, I think you're ready to stand up before the world. Now, another group that you may be in today is you may be in a place where you've got complacent, you've been acting like a baby, you've been looking for the milk, and you need to start stepping up to solid food. And if that's you in this place right now, then grow up. Now's the time. No condemnation. We all need to grow up from time to time. So do it. Walk out of this place and do it. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We just give you so much glory and praise, Lord. I pray that we can take your word and apply it to our lives. Lord God, I pray we can take responsibility and not make excuses anymore. We love you, Lord. We give you glory and praise in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Get your kids, only if you brought some. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.